Hi, this is Caden, and this is my daddy's podcast called Lasting Learning. Hi, this is Dave Schmidt, the host of the Lasting Learning Podcast. On this show, we talk to real people with real stories. We focus on the focus and discuss what matters most. Let's go. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Hey, everybody. I hope that you enjoy this upcoming episode. It was an absolute blast to record. I apologize in advance about the sound quality. Lots of issues going on with internet connectivity and all the things, but I hope you get the gist. The guest is spot on. The guest is spectacular. So sit back, enjoy, relax, learn, and grow. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. So glad you decided to tune in because this week we have an amazing, amazing guest. We've got a guest truly joining me from the other side of the world. I mean, that just completely baffles me. I was joking before we went, before we went live and started recording this that I just typed into Google Maps the distance between us. So I, I was just curious, and Google Maps said, can't find a way there. But we found a way to make this happen. I've got a guy on today who's going to wow us with some history, going to wow us with some futurist thinking. He's going to be tapping into a conversation that I've been wanting to have for a long time, both as a dad and as an educator and a podcaster. He is amazing. He's brilliant. He's, he's a writer. He's a professor. He's a researcher. He does it all. He, uh, he's just he's truly a genius. He has a book out right now titled Demystifying Esports a personal guide to the history and future of competitive gaming. I mean, right there, that gets me fired up. Esports. I can't tell you how many arguments I've had with people about esports. So let's open up the door and invite Bao Hyun in to share with us from Tokyo, Japan, what is going on in his world. Bao, thanks so much for being here, man. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. Glad to be here. And as you said, I'm from Tokyo, and it's uh, 8 a.m. in the morning right now. <laughs> well, I appreciate you getting up bright and early for this. Uh, for me, it's, it's not quite so early, so I've been prepping all day to have this conversation, man. <laughs> I, I'm excited. I'm excited. Likewise, so other, than, other than being a guy hanging out in Tokyo, Japan, can you just give people some of your background? We were talking a little bit beforehand, and you've been really all over the place, so including really, literally my back door, my backyard. So fill people in. Who are you and what you about? Yeah, so uh, so great to meet you all. I'm Baro. So I'm orig- originally like from Korea, but I grew up in the States. And the last place I lived was actually in Michigan, where Dave is based. And uh, so, uh, where where do I start? <laughs> so uh, I grew up. I, I was born in Korea, raised in Pittsburgh, and then I went back to Korea while I was in elementary school, and then basically grew up there. I finished until college and from grad school and back to the States. I got, I got my master's degree in New York and PhD in Michigan and did a postdoc and then went back to Korea to work for an automotive company and came to Japan four years ago. 
and now I'm working at a uh, big four consulting firm. And I joined as a tech consultant, but now uh, I'm doing this thing called esports advisory. And that's pretty much in a nutshell. Well, we're, we're going to break down that nutshell a little bit because I got to tell you, it's, it's fascinating. <laughs> when, when you say you're from Korea and then you grew up in Pittsburgh, like that, those are two very different worlds. So how does one find themselves moving from Korea, uh, literally 13,000 miles away to Pittsburgh to grow up and then finding their way back to Korea? Yeah, oof. so that's a little bit of family history there. So my parents back then were both grad students, poor grad students in the States, and I was born. And so, and they decided to have me, uh, have me born in, in, in Korea. So I was, I was born there. And then after, right after I was born, after four months later, uh, they brought me back to the States. And, uh, you know, that's where I basically grew up for seven years or so. Yeah. So I went to kindergarten and elementary school there. And then after my dad finished his degree, he got his job in Korea. So that's when we got back and I started attending elementary school. But we did a little bit back and forth here and there. And uh, yeah, so and then, you know, I, me as a kid growing up, you know, seeing my dad, you know, being a, a very, uh, he was, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's in academia, he was in academia. So I had this, you know, fascination about, you know, be, being a grad school in the States at the same time. So I thought, you know, I, I took the same route as well, I guess. So after I finished my uh, college degree, I just, uh, decided to move back to the States and get my, uh, you know, graduate degree in the States. And that's how it really went. I got to ask, man, you, you found your way to the great state of Michigan and decided mm -hmm. to leave? What? How did anybody leave Michigan? I know, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, oh boy, like all the time that I had, like, and I got my first child in Michigan, actually. And uh, so, and we, we had a lot of trips around the Upper Peninsula and all that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I Like, if you see my, my places where I live, I live all these cold places, especially in Michigan. It's pretty <laughs> cold, too. But I love it. I love it, by the way. Yeah. But yeah, I, I really missed it. And I'm, I really still miss it. I haven't, I still haven't had a chance to go back. I, not like only Detroit, but not Anna, Ann Arbor yet, which is really a shame, but I hope I can go back pretty soon. And, and, and now you find yourself in Tokyo, the, the yeah. heartbeat of Japan. I mean, mm -hmm. Tokyo is one of the most gorgeous cities I've ever been to in, in my life. Clean as can be. The people are just so polite, but it is bustling. It's bustling. People are moving. They are shaking. There is business being done. So you, you kind of told us your title behind what you do. Can you break that down a little bit? Because I know that that's part of the intrigue as to what brought you away from Michigan to Tokyo was to do what you're doing right now. It's super fascinating. Right. So to give you a little bit of background. So as, as I said, I was trained as an engineer and I accepted this job uh, in South Korea. It was an automotive company, uh, Hyundai, and I was working there as an R&D engineer for four years. And I'll be honest with you, while I was working as an R&D engineer, which was really a lot of fun, but I realized that maybe I don't want to die as an engineer. You know, you know, you know that feeling like, yeah. you know, you've been trained all years and you have that experience, but then you realize, is this really what I want? And for during that four years, I've been thinking about it. What is it really that I want? So I came to a conclusion that um, maybe R&D engineer I mean, was maybe too refined in a way that you know every everything is given to you like you're supposed to make something or you know like the problem is problem is already given but 
I wanted to do maybe something more close to business. I wanted to have more clients because in the R&D world, there's no such thing called client. So I wanted to face more clients. That was one. So I wanted to do more business. And another one was about, I wanted to make use of my more communication skills. So because in the R&D world, it's really, you know, basically you're doing internal work. So after the realization, I had a chance to move to Japan because my wife, she's from Japan. And uh, then I accepted this new opportunity at this management consulting firm. Uh, and, you know, that's how I started. And, you know, it's been a huge roller coaster ride. It's probably one of the best decisions I made in my life and career. And it's been so much fun since the, since the first day. And I joined as a tech consultant, uh, obviously with my background, but then... Maybe I'll, I'll get into this later more into detail, but then I decided to uh, start a esports advisory, and uh, it kind of started as a uh, side project back then, but now it's a full time commitment, and I have a team that I lead right now. And, and you know, I think that's so many people's dream is to take your side hustle, your side project, and make it the thing that you do. If for those people that are watching this on on YouTube, they can kind of see your setup. You've got the chair. <laughs> that uh, I think a lot of us dream to be able to sit in. You got the, the mic, the, the headset. But your job isn't just sitting around playing video games. When, we, when people hear esports, they think, okay, this guy's a gamer. He's just sitting around playing video games all day. Now, is that, is that what you do or is there more to it than that? It's it's actually yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. So there's actually more to it, and I I don't honestly I don't play much game at all. For, and yeah. and I I used to be a lot of I mean play a lot of game back in when I was young and like everybody else. But my job is really for my clients to you know to enter this new market called esports or gaming, and because there's so much opportunity. And just to back up a little bit with what I said about you know how it really started. So you know, like growing up as in Korea, like where esports, everything started, but also at the same time, I was a big fan of Japanese games. Like coming to Japan, I had a lot of expectation that you know it's a, it's a gaming nation. Everybody knows it. it's a this game. I mean, this is a nation where Nintendo and Sony and all that. Right. So yeah. I had a, a little more expectation about you know this thing called esports because it's already big in in Korea when I was growing up. But you know, to to my surprise, it wasn't big at all when I just came here. So I found it kind of peculiar. So and then. Maybe, you know, we thought there's a business potential behind it. So that's how it got started as a advisor service in this consulting firm. And it really started as a side project. So the beginning was really about teaching and about the marketing activities and stuff, because not many people know what esports is, like, like a lot of different places around the world. So I had to actually let them know what this is actual, like actual industry going on. And there's a huge history behind it. But then, you know, it started to really took off in 2018 and now it's a it's a, it's a good business for us now and for my clients i basically our message to the to the you know to our clients and the, the market is that you don't have to make you don't have to create games in order to enter this market because before in the traditional gaming market it was really all about you know company creating games like nintendo and it was very player centric like it was targeting for the you know the game players but nowadays, since it became esports, it's not only about playing, it's also about watching, like, like you watch Netflix or, you know, History mm -hmm. Channel whatsoever. So it's that viewing experience that's really entertaining so that you don't really have to play. So there's a very, I call it as a passive form of engagement. So there's just so many different ways of engaging it. And, and thus, for companies to have so many different opportunities business-wise. 
So, so Barbara, let me, I'm going to change hats a little bit because I'm a father yep. of four kids, okay? My oldest is a high school, is a freshman <laughs> nice. in high school right now, ninth grade. My youngest is in kindergarten. So I swear every time the TV is on, they're watching YouTube, they're watching people play games, or they've got their Xbox hooked up and they're actually engaged in the games. And it, it, it's, it's for a 43-year-old man to watch this, there are times I look back and I say, I don't get this, guys. I don't understand what you get, what's the enjoyment you get out of watching other people play games. But they always push back at me and say, well, dad, you watch basketball, you watch football, you watch baseball. And that's the argument that they give me. You know, I don't play the games, but I, I'll sit back and I'll cheer and I'll watch. Is that what, what you're describing here when you say you can just create the platforms for the viewing experience? You don't necessarily have to create the game? Exactly. I mean, your children nailed it like perfectly it's it's really that i mean that's that's probably the, the best analogy that you know i can think of like just watching professional sports right like i don't play professional basketball at all but you know i, I don't play soccer but i watch playing i'm just sure. watching professional soccer and basketball for example so it's pretty much the same experience and i think part of the reason why like people with minimal gaming experience don't relate to that is because I mean, they simply they just don't have the experience of playing games, maybe not as much as the younger generation nowadays. And also at the same time, they're not really familiar with the rules of how the how that game works, right? There are just so many different genres of game, titles of game, and depending on the genre, there's different rules and different, you know, I mean, you know, scenarios. So if you're not used to it, it's really hard to relate to them. And depending on the game genre, some, some genre is really easy to relate, like sports games, like you have FIFA or, mm -hmm. or Madden or something like that you already know the rules. But like games like, I don't know, like League of Legends, which is something completely brand new, you have to learn and dig in a little bit to actually understand what's going on. And that, you know, hurdle can be a little intimidating if you're not familiar with it. That's, that's, that's fascinating. Totally fascinating. So you're, you're unpacking this for me and, and you're helping, you're making a good case right now for my kids when, <laughs> when they push back on me a little bit because I constantly push back and say, you need to play the game. I don't want you to just be a passive consumer. And they have mm -hmm. actually told me, no, dad, you don't understand, I'm learning. And I roll my eyes and say, you're not learning, you're watching. But what you just argued, you're spot on to something here because uh, I'll use the sports example. I, I maxed out on my potential in high school, in basketball, mm -hmm. for example. But I, I can turn on and I can watch LeBron and I can watch the Lakers and I can learn some intricacies that if I were to go out and play a pickup game, I might be able to apply. And am I going to be out there and dunking and making some of the turn on jump shots he makes? No, but I am learning some subtleties of the game by watching and I, I'm in awe and it gives me a new appreciation. So I don't know that you consider yourself necessarily an advocate or maybe you do for e-gaming, uh, but do my kids have a point that Allowing them to, to watch gamers on YouTube is actually a learning experience, not just pure entertainment. Absolutely, absolutely, hundred percent, hundred twenty percent. So it's really the learning experience. Like all this, so a lot of these games now is are very strategic. So these like professional esports players are extremely smart, actually. So by watching it, you're actually learning their strategy. That's one. But also, not only on the strategic level, like the tactical level, like what's going on, and also the controls and all that. Like it's, 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 it takes a lot of skills, it takes a lot of training to re actually reach that level and people call them professional. That's the reason why for, that people call them professional. So you're actually learning by watching it. And that nowadays, especially with esports players, what's a little different from say a traditional, traditional sports player is that a lot of these uh, esports athletes have their own personal YouTube channel mm -hmm. and they broadcast their own training you know, session 
so that you know you can actually learn more what's going on what's the mindset behind these players you know while, while they're practicing and what's more to that is that in even in the actual official like the tournament league tournament you know broadcasting they're always set up like a caster and commentator who's constantly commenting of what's going on just like traditional sports scene so that even if you're not you know uh, like you know professional level you can they 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 make it easier for you to understand what's going on what are the skill set what are the strategy the mindset that they're going through and so that that whole experience is not only about just watching and, and you know for entertainment but if you're actually a player you're actually learning something and that's how you actually skill up yourself i feel like these these gamers they are so much more than video gamers they are marketing geniuses because oh, yeah. Truly what they're doing when they're out there live streaming or they're broadcasting on Twitch or YouTube or whatever platform is about to emerge, they are giving away their secrets to how to play the game. They're not out there really trying to conquer the world and to mm -hmm. be the best. They just want to create their own brand, mm -hmm. similar to professional athletes that are out there trying to brand themselves. So talk, talk to me, advocate for me and explain to me where this is going. It is is e-gaming taking over the, the gaming world? Are e-sports um, going to be more popular than traditional, I'll, I'll use athletic sports, I don't know what the proper term is, but <laughs> the, 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 the sports that require you to, to sweat and work out and exercise, it is, do you see that those two worlds um, competing or one overtaking the other, or are they symbiotic? I think they're symbiotic. And uh, sorry about that. So like... You know, I think traditionally we had two mutually exclusive markets. So we had the traditional sports crowd who likes to sweat and work out, whereas we had the, the video gamers, a little geeky, but who doesn't like to move maybe, <laughs> but hours hours and the, and, the, and the chair, et cetera. Those are mutually exclusive, I would say, back when I was growing. But nowadays they are not. They're actually, they're inclusive. And you can easily see nowadays that your kid, like my kid, I mean, they're, they're like avid Fortnite players, but they also like to have fun outside and, you know, play some balls, basketball together with their friends. So this is not something mutually exclusive. And what I can tell is that uh, nowadays, as you can, I mean, you, you know, Dave, with your, your four children, it's like, it's not really about, I mean, they, they probably no longer much watched much of television or you know like it's it's not only right. about this television is minor nowadays it's really about youtube and even gaming so these younger generation experiences based on this exp virtual experience within the game and that's where they spend most of their time so as the demographic goes you know towards more older generation i think you know they're going to take the majority and if you think of that then you know I, I i would doubt that the traditional sports scene will diminish but i, I would say that these two will uh, symbiotically coexist together well it's so so much to, to go on from that because <laughs> as an old guy, which people tell me, 43, that's old. That's not old. That's, that's young. That's not old. What are you talking old, about? Yeah. <laughs> but, but when we're talking in terms of gaming and gamers, I mean, I'm, I'm a Super Mario, Legends of Zelda generation, Pac-Man, Donkey Kong generation. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the games that my kids are playing right now, uh, the online platforms and uh, multiplayer, it, it, it's mind-blowing to me. Not only what technology can do, but what individual players can do. And I feel... I feel at times as though gaming today has become an addiction that I don't remember it being when mm -hmm. I was a kid. 
when I was mm-hmm. a kid, I feel like my mom could come in and say, Dave, time to turn off the Nintendo. And mm-hmm. I would turn off Contra. And I would know that when I came back in, I could up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, be able to start, get my 30 lives back and jump back into a new game and just go. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, it's turn off the game and it's, I can't, I'm in a tournament. I've got another eight hours to go or someone else is about to stream it. And it's like, it never shuts off. Yeah. Um, Is that, is that normal? Or are my kids just this, are, are they, are they scamming this old man, Dave? Dave, that's totally normal, man. I mean, okay. I, I go through that as well. And that was a like reason why I wrote this book, right? So, I mean, before I answer that question, so little, give you a little bit of background of mindset, like writing that book. So my, my mother-in-law, who takes care of my kids on a daily basis, she thinks that gaming is evil. Because, <laughs> I mean, they play Fortnite all day. Yeah. And especially my young one, who's six, he's in kindergarten, like, he doesn't have any duty or whatsoever homework whatsoever. So he just plays as long as he wants. And just one day she snapped and cut it, his uh, charging cable of his Nintendo Switch with the, with a pair of scissors. <laughs> so, you know, it was clearly there was a lot of you know, stress build up. So I thought that we got to do something about it. So back to your question, Dave. So that's completely normal. And part, the reason I think one of the reasons why for that is because, I mean, when we were growing up, I was also a Mario and Zelda uh, generation, which I love yeah. it, by the way. And what's different is really it's it's the, it's the communication with another peer. So you're actually just like you're having a ball game with your friends. You're playing the games with your friends uh, being online. And nowadays you can actually chat voice chat like like we're doing right now so that you can have that more engaging experience with your friends. So, you know, as a parent, I totally I do that, too. But, you know, like let's turn on the turn off your switch. You know, that means that stop playing with your friend, you know, nowadays. Hmm. So, so it's 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 hard. It's hard to it's hard to just quit like 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 oh. you know like mm. for sure though but you just a light bulb just went off for me yeah because yeah. as I, I said you know when my mom would tell me to turn off the nintendo that was an easy an easy thing to say but if i'd be out at the park my mom would call for me and say come on in and i'm playing basketball or football or hanging out with my buddies mm. that was a much harder sell for my mom to get me to come in yeah i was interacting and you know what you just described to me i'm wondering from a guy who has literally been all around the world a couple of times, back and forth, you bounced in and out of, of countries. You know, we talk all the time in schools about the need to prepare our kids for this global world. Whereas yeah. when I was growing up, it was prepare, prepare the kids to, to grow up and succeed in your community, maybe your state, maybe mm-hmm. your country. Mm-hmm. But you're right. My, my kids are communicating with people globally. Like I said, I type in Google Maps, how, how far away are we? And it said, there's no way to calculate. I don't know the route to take. But we mm-hmm. figured out the route. We're just talking yeah. through a computer. We're talking through technology, exactly. which is what our kids are doing all the time. Exactly. So one could argue that they are actually setting themselves up for this global world like we were never prepared before. I mean, you brought a really good point there because there are actually a business case right now here in Japan that uh, there's a company who's using Fortnite to teach English conversation, English. So, oh. you know, there are just so many English teaching, I mean, cram schools here, but, uh, you know, kids normally don't engage if it's like a classroom setup but since it became a game (laughs) everybody plays already games and they already have one or two at least one or two friends outside of their country and that's 
nowadays, that's their first experience to speak a word of English. That may be that could be a swearing word. I don't know, but you know, okay. Uh, yeah, but, that, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's really the, the, that experience, and that's really a. I think that's a positive experience because it brings them out there, and it lets them gives them an you know uh, they they actually want to like reach out to these you know people outside because they're they're like player friends you know companions they might yeah. play you know every day and on a daily basis together but you know in order to really communicate you know they have to speak english for example so that's one one example that's actually going on so i i there, there's just so much opportunities for if you look into this angle so so now let me play the other side of that because you brought up jokingly and i laughed mm -hmm. along with it and said yeah but mm -hmm. their, their first words that they learn might be these swear words which yeah. i think there, there's a part of that from like the parent perspective that we say, but you're right, these, these, mm -hmm. these rooms, these games, they're sort of unregulated. And you've got mm -hmm. these 43 year old guys hanging out and playing games with six and seven year olds and saying what they wanna say. And even, even the gaming community has become big business and big mm -hmm. money where literally at times there are millions of dollars on the line. And when mm -hmm. you put that much money in front of people, corruption is, is sure to follow. Oh yeah. So how, how do we, I don't, I don't wanna say, the Pandora's box has been opened. It's, it's going. We're not going to say gaming's not happening. Esports is going and it's growing. But how do we keep it within, within the curbs, within the streets, yeah. so that it doesn't just run amok? No, I feel you. I feel, David. Thanks for bringing that up. Actually, this is the first time I'm actually talking about this at a podcast, but this is actually my, it relates to my main job. So my, my take on this is that it's exactly as you said, it's, it's a, it's a young, relatively young industry. There's a lot of potential, but it's this, this is not, this industry is not close to perfect at all. So there's probably going to be a lot of holes. There's a lot of mistakes and bad things can happen. For example, I grew up in Korea and what I saw in Korea was that, I mean, there was a boom of it but at the same time there was a bubble pop after a fixed game scandal and a lot of people lost job in this space so there clearly a, a potential of large risk so what so that's one of the reason why i started this esports advisory at my firm so my firm is known as a more more known as a accounting and auditing corporate auditing corporate governance and, and compliance that's their uh, bread and butter so i think it's very important for a firm like us to actually back up this industry so that you know we take care of all the risk components and try to install the appropriate governance and compliance you know behind it and and we're actually working locally here in japan where we're actually working with the government so that you know so that every we have a social infra for that so my point is that yes it's a very young industry and it's largely focused on entertainment but as us, as grown-up adults, we know how uh, you know uh, business works, and probably our kids don't really understand what's and, and if it comes really into the business side. So I think there's a lot of room for us grown-ups to actually support this industry to be more sustainable and to be a little less risky in terms of governance and compliances. And you know, I I, I think you know like these events or like cheating or like you know that you we were just talking about those swearing words and all that. There there's just so much thing going so much things that we need to look after if we actually you know get 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 inside of it. And I'm I, like I I have been doing this for over two and a half years now. But the more I get to know about it, it just there's just so much things that we need to think about it in terms of like you know safe like safety netting in terms of governance and compliances. Yeah, well, it, I love to know that there are people like you out there that are working hard on keeping things safe, legal, fair, the whole nine yards. 
do you consider yourself a historian of this new emerging field or do you consider yourself an advocate? Which, which side of that do you fall on? Oh, wow, I never thought about that, Dave. So I guess that's a really good question. <laughs> it's okay you know, to be I both, mean, that's fine too. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think I, I would like to say both because like the, his, the historical side of it, I like, I happen to be Korean. I happen to saw when this happened back in the 90s and nobody called it esports back then it was just you know people having fun with this new online game called starcraft based from 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 the states and it was such a big thing and you know and and i realized that although it's this industry's got so big i didn't see any like a, a a source that gives a fair justice about what the history behind is so that's why I decided to write this book. One of the reasons why I decided to write this book. So I, that's one thing that I think it's really important that where we're coming from, knowing where we're coming from, but at the same time, what happened in Korea, I found it as, it's like a little, like a small cycle of history. And, you know, as you, as we know, as grownups, the history tend to repeat. And what I see happening right now and, and globally, I think it's like, a, it's a bigger scale of what happened in Korea. And, and, you know, some may be very similar, some may not, but, you know, so having that perspective, I think is really important so that we know where we're going and we can be, be ready for, you know, what's coming next. For example, like that fixed game scandal and all that. I think that's something that's very, very plausible at some point. And, you know, so what are we going to do as, as a business person or as, as a, as a policymaker, what are we going to do about it? Are we just going to let that happen? So in that sense, uh, I would say I'm more of an advocate of, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's still a lot of things that we need to support in terms of uh, like, not only from a private sector side, but also public sector infrastructure side as well. And also education. Well, so, so let me talk about that a little bit. So mm -hmm. I, I alluded to the fact that I've been to Tokyo before and I, I, I went to Japan um, as an outsider, as an educator to come in and help infuse new educational practices within uh, the Japanese educational system. Yeah. There was this belief in, in Japan when, when I was there, that Japan was rooted in tradition. Um, the educational system was not necessarily emerging and not necessarily progressive. Mm -hmm. I, I put that out there because I thought it was interesting that at the time that I went, Japan was soliciting American educators to come in and poke the bear and push the needle a little bit. Yeah. So some would argue that here in the States, our educational system is traditional. It's based off of an agrarian system um, that is somewhat antiquated and outdated. Um, and I see lots of similarities. You said when you first came to Japan a, a few years ago, esports was almost non-existent. It wasn't, it wasn't a phenomenon. It wasn't something mm -hmm. that was booming and growing. Mm -hmm. Here in the States, it's, it's booming and growing, but it's almost like this underground thing where the yeah. old curmudgeons like me are trying to squash it and push it away. Yeah. Some schools are beginning to embrace esports uh, clubs, esports um, activities but they are few and far between. Do you believe that it's our responsibility um, as educators, as the infrastructure to train the generation to embrace esports, to try to train our kids in how to navigate this system? Or is it okay for it to be this offshoot that kind of just does its own thing? And as long as we're not screaming and yelling and saying no about it, that it's fine. I think, you know, that's a great point. I, I think in my mind, I think it's more on the former side of the perspective. I think, you know, like 
as you've seen around the world, like also in Japan, like I mean, this this esports or gaming thing, it's it's not an overnight phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It's been there for over two decades, and and it's it's keep on growing. It's it's gonna and it's gonna continue. And so the fundamental is there, and no matter what, where we're gonna stop or not, it's gonna keep on going. We know for that for sure. Now, I mean, from a as a parent and also an educator, these kids actually want some guidance. You know, mm-hmm. when it comes to like say, not so if it's on the hobby side of the world, like for casual playing, that's totally fine. You're just playing it for entertainment. But when it comes to say, uh, you they want to do in a professional level. That that's the point when they seek help, and it, it, whether that being a profession in terms of a good player or being a business owner in this space, either way, uh, these kids what what I've seen so far I've been teaching in, in Japan for that's my third year teaching esports business with for undergrad and grad level courses, uh, like the passion is there's so much passion is there but they just don't know how. And I think that's the perfect situation for an educator like ourselves to actually jump in and try to guide them in the right direction. And and it's 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 really surprising to see because of, I'll, I'll, let me give an example. Like the the first grad level course that we gave out at KO here in 2018 was only designed for about 10 students. We were expecting no more than that. But actually, 20 people showed up, and half of them were undergraduate kids. And we interviewed them, and they said they had to take this course because they never seen this kind of thing, and they don't need any credits; they just want to audit it. Wow, cool! So, and we got a lot of media, you know, exposure out of that as well, and it was fantastic. And and the second year was a grad level, grad, I mean, undergraduate level course, and we expanded it to a little bigger crowd. And you know, the it was designed for 70 people, but actually, 180 people showed up. So. <laughs> So, I mean, these, like, students, if it's something that they like, that they have passion with, they will show up and they will commit, which, you know, I mean, I, I, I doubt that there's a lot of things that they, you know, <laughs> might someone commit when they become a, a college student. But if, it's, if it turns to gaming or sports business, if it's something that they're interested, they will commit. And a lot of the time is that these students, they only know about, like, what game that they play and what they like about. But if you actually look into it, there's a huge industry behind it. And just giving that a little exposure of what's going on, you know, to have that, to build that game or to promote that game or to promote that event or to actually run and operate these teams, et cetera, et cetera. There's just so much, you know, opportunities and business going on. And just having that exposure to them and just sparkle that, you know, that, that inspiration, I think that's, that's good enough, you know, uh, to, for us to, you know, ha- give that guidance, I think. So that's interesting. So these, these students that are showing up, you're right. They're, they know how to play the games. I mean, mm-hmm. they're not there to say, teach me the cheat codes. That's not what they're there for. No. They're there to say, take me as a brand to that next mm-hmm. level. Help mm-hmm. me figure out how to brand myself or how to infuse myself into the industry. So mm-hmm. are you, do you feel like a, a lot of what you teach, a lot of what you expose these students to is more marketing than it is um, even technology? Marketing and business, I would say. So, uh, so with, with this thing, with this esports and gaming uh, industry overall, what, what we, uh, so there's actually like, to me, in my mind, there's largely three ways of, uh, companies to be involved with. So one is, as you said, marketing and branding. That's very obvious. But another one is, uh, so there's new business opportunity in terms of like monetizing. 
So for example, we have our, one of our client was the, uh, a, a national power plant company that has nothing to do with gaming and esports, but because they've seen the growing you know, uh, uh, market within Japan, and they happen to provide the infrastructure that requires for gaming, for example, <laughs> electricity mm-hmm. and also uh, internet service. So they came talk to us about maybe, maybe they can do a new business based on their capabilities. So we did a strategy piece about having a gaming, new gaming facility business, like dedicated on gaming, which is very, very uh, common in places like Korea and China. You have a like game gaming gaming cafe yeah yeah gaming cafe basically right so so i mean stuff like that so you have definitely have a monetizing new business opportunity as well but at the same time there's a lot of um, capital moving behind this in in, in the industry so a lot of venture capitalists uh take it as an investment opportunity so and you know so there's also investment you know side of it as well so if you like a lot of students don't really get to understand before they take this course. It's really because most of the time it's all only about gaming. But if you look into it, there's a marketing opportunity, but there's also a business opportunity, but there's also investment opportunity. And if you think of all the jobs and careers that you can think of behind it, I mean, Mm -hmm. downstream afterwards, they're just, you know, they're just countless, countless opportunities or path that you can follow. I am, I'm extremely excited about what you're doing right now. You are, you are filling me with hope for this, this generation, more, more specifically for my kids. Because I have been so worried that my kids are gonna grow up just living in a recliner, eating potato chips all day long, playing video games. But that's not necessarily what it's no. gonna be. You've got me thinking, man, my kids are going to be these business experts, these entrepreneurs out there oh, yeah. just innovating and creating and collaborating and changing this world for the yes. better through yes. this medium that I'm ignorant about. So I need to educate myself. So do, do you think just a simple, I'm going to throw a little promotion. I, I very rarely do this with people, but I'm just going to, I'm going to talk about your book. If I, if I were to sit down and just read your book and thank you for sending me the preview copy so I could see it and read it. But for those people that are listening, if, if, if we just sat down and read your book, are we going to be prepared or this new world, or are we just going to be more intrigued and have a lot more questions to ask? Uh, I think it's going to be the latter. So what I try to do with the book is that, so when, when I first started writing the book, I, I, like being a business consultant, I was really, you know, writing a business book. But then after my, you know, my mother-in-law having that, you know, incident, I realized that maybe it's, there's more to it. So there's a generational gap to it. So I, I made it as a, I wrote it as more of a, you know, a, a, a educational book on the historical side but kind of hint, hinting upon a different, uh, you know, uh, business aspects and about the market itself. So I'm guessing that after you, if you're completely new in this and after reading the book, you probably, probably get a lot more questions and not, not, not doubts, but I would say questions, positive questions about the future, where, where this is going and probably more questions about what are the opportunities if you're actually a business owners and also, <clears throat> excuse me, about, you know, the uh, career path about your, kids uh, if, if they're really serious about gaming and, and the esports side of it and you know i mean like as i said my career i've been training you know uh, an engineer as an engineer but i completely kind of ditched my uh engineering side of my career because of this because to me this industry this whole thing in gaming and esports is a gold mine for me there's just so much puzzle to be solved and there's so much prospect and you know every day it's i'm i feel like i'm just 
being simulated, you know, like so many different aspects around the world. So that's why I, I decided this route. Oh, it's, it's so cool. It's, it's so incredible. Um, yeah, and, and you, and you nailed it. I, you know, it, it's listening to and reading what you, what you've written. It, it hits me both as a college professor, as a school-based administrator, as a parent, that there are so many conversations that I'm going to be engaging in with my own kids as a result of this. So many opportunities that I'm going to be speaking with my kids' schools about, about allowing and equipping them to have, mm-hmm. not just to play the games. I know we, we argue all the time, yeah, if you, if you play the games, that you're learning cooperation and collaboration, which is great, but there's so much more to it that you have helped unpack and unfold for me that uh, has me, it literally has me excited about the future. I'm no longer dreading it. I'm not thinking Terminator, the machines are taking over the world anymore. <laughs> I'm thinking it, this is now a new tool to help engage my kids like they never have been before, like I never was before. And that excites me. It really, really excites me. So I, I appreciate your work on this, man. So glad to hear that, man. I'm also glad to see you with that excitement, Dave. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> no, it, it is 100% genuine. And my kids, yeah. thank you. I guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just in time for Christmas, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that, was, that was part of the reason. I'm sorry. That was part of the reason, right? So this is not only about, you know, like for like generation who didn't grow with gaming, but also like my kids and your kids, right? Like that who have the passion, but a lot of the time I imagine that they will face their, like their parents and they have to convince their parents that you're going to go to this route. So, and you then come to the situation where you, you're putting, you're in a spot where you have to explain what's your plan and why is this important and all that. Let the book does it out for you because it, it has all the history and all the prospect behind it. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I, I also, what, what I was aiming for that. Oh, that's awesome. So good. So good. So, so I, I got to throw this out there and, you know, people that listen to this know that this is where we're going. I always ask towards the, the end of the podcast for my guests to give me what I call their mic drop moment, because it, you are a perfect example of a, a, a guest who just brought tremendous wisdom, value and information. So much truth and so much knowledge was just laid upon us. And this is going to be one of those episodes that I go back and I listen to over and over and over again. And I'll probably play in the car with my kids there. Um, so everybody can hear it and they can all say, see, I told you dad, but if you had to lay it down and you had the whole world in front of you, microphone in hand, and you're about to walk off the stage, drop the Mm -hmm. mic and leave their jaws just dropped because of the thing that you're going to say, what is it? Where, where are we? And I know there's a lot of pressure right there, but I'm trying to drag (laughs) this out so you can really think of something big here, man. Uh Uh What, 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 what is the thing that you want people to take away from this conversation? What's the, the thing? So, okay. <laughs> so, what, what, like, where I'm at right now, so I've been doing this esports for business for over two years, about three years now. And I'm reaching a point where I'm seeing the next step. And I think the next step is what I consider as a digital content uh, business. So, what I mean by that is that, let me give an example. So, esports is actually a content based on another content which is video gaming Mm -hmm. so it's a content on a content so we're gonna see this layer of different contents that is based upon uh what uh you know original content like gaming that's keep on growing so for example we have a business example in china where they have a television drama based on esports so right there we have three layers of content video game esports and a drama Mm 
And you see, the point is that these so-called digital content are reusable for secondary users, and you can create new values out of that. Mm. To me, as a business consultant, I think that's where the, the, the core goldmine is <laughs> in terms of business perspective, that you, know, you can reuse this, the, this thing called IP, the digital content IP and for secondary users in so many different forms. I think this is going to grow exponentially from now on even more, as we already seen many, many, uh, many, many uh, uh, examples and opportunities out there. But this is, I think this is going to accelerate the so-called uh, content IP business. So I, I, I want you to understand that like esports, gaming, that's all good. But at the core of it, there's uh, this content IP behind it. And that's where we're going to, where, where our industry is going to spend a lot of time, a lot of capital uh, on it. And that's, that's why I'm getting into it. And I hope this kind of gives your perspective of, uh, you know. You know. That, that's not a fair mic drop. Because what you just walked <laughs> off the stage, and now we're all clapping, encore, encore, come on back, tell us more. So that, that's not fair. Now, now we're going to have to do another episode where you fill us in on all of that. Because I feel like in, just in the next six to eight months, that's going to, that's going to change. It's going to evolve and you're going to have a new outlook and new mindset that you're going to be able to share with us. It's not a new book now that you're going to be writing about that. So yeah. <laughs> you, you're going to have to come back on, man. That's all there is to Absolutely. Hey, anytime. I would love to be back in this show. And, you know, as, as you said, I, I like th this is to me also as a breakthrough, recent breakthrough. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm touching upon something really new, exciting stuff. And uh, like even with my client works, we're getting into this and all this like IP world within the game. And then in, in reality, for example, yeah. if you have like, say, uh, the, the, you know, uh, I don't know, the Tokyo Tower in the game, who owns what? Uh, if you run a business inside the game with the Tokyo Tower being a virtual Tokyo Tower, who owns what, who owns right, etc. This is all brand new. And this mm. opens up a lot of doors for new business models. And I, we're at a point where the industry is trying to take a look at it. And we're trying to make it more clear about, you know, uh, <laughs> what's going to be the next step. And I happen to be at the at the forefront of this uh, activity right now at my firm, and I'm just so excited to see what's going to come out next, and happy to share <laughs> once <laughs> once everyone wow, talks. Yeah, for sure. So if you're <laughs> listening to this, no worries. We are going to have Barnum back again, and we are going to drill him on all this. We're going to give you the inside scoop of what's to come. He's going to look in, deep into that crystal ball and tell you what's happening, <laughs> but not just because he's a futurist and a fortune teller, but because he is a student of history and knows the future. It was always driven by what's already come. And this is, this has been an absolutely incredible conversation. I am so grateful that you were willing to join me from the other side of the world and truly from tomorrow. So, so thank you for that. Yeah. I'm going to have all your contact information and uh, book information in the show notes, but for people like me, who are too lazy to scroll down and click. Can you just tell people where they can find more information on you, what you're doing and the stuff that you're writing? Absolutely. So, so best place, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So look me up just on LinkedIn. If you, you Google me on uh, like my name, it's probably going to see LinkedIn on top of my list. So just look me up there and just feel free to connect and say hi. Or if you just want me to send an email, uh, dmistifangesports at gmail.com. That's where you can reach me directly. So feel free to do so. Outstanding. And your, and your book is up on Amazon, right? Yeah, yeah, Amazon all over, uh, globally. So you can reach that or so, yeah, I think that's the main, main, main channel. Yeah, and it's available Kindle, paperback, hardback. You want it, you got it. So just go click 
and uh, get it sent to your your home today. And again, Farrell, thank you so much for, for being here and for just being so real, so transparent, being willing to share your story, your truth, your research, your business, all the things as a dad, as an educator, as a podcaster, as a guy who's just flat out intrigued by this. I'm grateful. And I know my listeners are too. So thank you for giving up so much of your time and waking up so early to have this conversation. <laughs> no, thank you so much, Dave. This has been a really wonderful conversation with you today. So very happy to be here and also be back sometime. You got it. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Lasting Learning. Interested in learning more? Feel free to check out one of my books, like Making Assessment Work, for educators who hate data but love kids, or Bold Humility, or It's Like Riding a Bike, How to Make Learning Last a Lifetime. Just visit schmidto.net for more information, or feel free to check out Amazon.